0: By Riverside, I'm Randy this is a Family Strong Podcast, and I believe in the power of your family. <laughs> hmm, I do. All right. Today we're going to dive into, we're going to dive into families. We're going to dive into the resiliency. Can you think of anything more powerful than a family? Now, maybe, maybe I can. I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, I think of God as the only thing. When I when I sometimes tell people that we need to create a foundation so that your family becomes the source. Of uh, you know your family is the source of the power. I sometimes think no, God is the source of the power okay i 'll give you that one that's that 's a struggle there for me because ultimately god 's power is in families i mean that 's his work his work is to is to have healthy, unified families so it 's kind of hard to argue that point. Families are. More resilient and more connected on such a deep level on on the on such a a deep deep level that it just baffles my mind it boggles my mind when I meet a well rounded put together clean cut healthy i mean for the most part. successful family, and they're just completely lost about what to do to help their loved one. Uh, Even if their loved one isn't necessarily super receptive or super open to their counsel, they they don't realize that their hands aren't tied. One of the, the challenges that we face is something I call breaking social norms. We have these these systems and these structures that our society and our families have passed down to us and programmed us that tell us this is how we're supposed to handle things, this is how we're supposed to communicate. But what do we do if an anomaly happens or something out of the ordinary happens? Are we still supposed to operate under that same system, that same structure? Because there sure seems to be a lot of people hurting, and there definitely seems to be a lot of people who are looking for solutions. So at what point are we given permission to not operate under any sort of social norm? I'll tell you more about what I mean by social norms. Uh, when my mother died, we, I went to her funeral. And, you know, my dad was there and my brother and his wife and their kids and my other brother and his wife and their kids and my sisters and their kids and spouses and nieces and nephews and people from all over, all over our city were lined up out the door. Partly because my brother has the gift to gab and he held up the line talking to everybody about everything. Anyway, as I'm sitting there getting hugged by thousands of strangers, most of which I didn't know because I didn't live in the area uh at the time, I'm just like realizing that there's actually a process to mourning that is not just a funeral. So it's not just something we have to do that there's like this process and that it's changing me. Originally when my mom died, we were living in North Dakota and my and my first instinct was you know, I had good memories with her. I don't think I'll go to Grantsville. I don't think I'll move, or I'll I'll head back home to attend this funeral. I think we're good. I think I'm good. And man, was I wrong? Because just seeing the outpour of love and all the people who came together, and and we were able to have a great. I thought we had some laughs. Like I, I'm pretty lighthearted when it comes to. Where she is now i I joke all the time that I told her it wasn't as bad as she thought, and now I know that she knows that I was right because i'm I'm sure that she's better she's better off anyway. I digress social norms tells us that we don't we don't get together and we don't commune and we don't sit down and talk as a group, about difficult or sensitive or crucial conversation type things, unless we have to, unless there's an inheritance on the line, or there was a death in the family, or there's, you know, <laughs> a family vacation, which is interesting. It's interesting, right, that we we can get together and we can throw out some ideas and talk about a family vacation. Um, but the elephant in the room who's nodding off as we're speaking, hitting his head on the his, you know gravy from his mashed potatoes because he just shot up heroin, we're not going to actually address that, at least not as a group. We're going to wait till everybody leaves, or we're going to roll our eyes and say things to individuals and to one another and so maybe shoot out some sarcastic statements while he's asleep in his potatoes, uh, but we're not going to naturally say, guys, what are we doing? Like, we're here eating, we're planning this vacation, and look at Tommy over here, just right in front of us. Now, there's various reasons for that, and we could get into those, but the point is, is that Social norms tells us there's a certain way to behave and that there's certain lines within individual, uh, their bubbles, individual's comfort bubbles and their space and their lives and respect and giving them room to grow that we just don't cross. Unless it's our addicted loved one, then we can cross those always want because they can't make decisions for themselves. They can't be held accountable. They can't be... Uh, allowed to learn and grow on their own because while they're handicapped, right? So we have to protect them even if it means that the rest of the family gets dissolved. I I see this a lot where a parent or two are providing for their son or daughter. The other siblings have a voice. They have opinions. They have perspective. But the parents don't want to hear it mostly because the parents are already disagreeing about what to do. So when you add more personalities into the mix, it just, you know, gets even harder. So it creates a rift and a divide within the family where um, no one's really listening to each other. So what do we do in these situations? Well, typically what happens is this. It gets to a point where it gets so dangerous or people get so frustrated where it blows up where something has to give, right? The system implodes on itself. At this time, someone's first thought is treatment. We have to get them to go into treatment. So they may hire an interventionist or they may do an intervention on their own. Heaven forbid, don't do that. Please do not do an intervention. If you want to do something, do an invitation. So it gets to a point where something has to give and people lash out. Somebody wants something to happen, so they just Out of frustration, out of bent, uh, like, you know, stored up energy, everything kind of comes out. Well, this can be even worse because the person then reacts in a certain way, or even if they go to treatment, they didn't want to. So we ship them off somewhere, and I like to think of it as an iceberg. This whole iceberg is your family. Imagine this iceberg floating through space and or floating through the ocean in a, in a current state of space or, um, you know, there's a cycle there. And the family looks at this certain section of the iceberg and says, yeah, that part is getting pretty, pretty decayed, pretty colored, pretty bad. It's not very clear. It's not very pure. So we've tolerated it all we can, but let's cut off that iceberg. Let's send it off to a great iceberg refining facility. And this facility is going to purify this iceberg. Now, the national average is it takes seven stents in one of these iceberg refining facilities before someone gets clean and healthy and stays clean. But that's a, different, that's a different point. So the remainder of the iceberg stays back in the same water, you know, with the same temperatures, same elements, same everything. Basically, checking in from time to time on this iceberg, um, finding a lot of peace, actually, and and some security knowing that this person is at least healthy and safe for the day, if nothing else. The problem with this is because the family has delegated the responsibility and delegated the groundwork and the foundation for this person changing, it's not likely sustainable. How long do you think it'll be after this sliver of this iceberg comes back and gets reconnected with the mother iceberg in the same water, same temperature, same elements, same same um, mammals and birds and everything, weather patterns. Everything for the iceberg is essentially the same because the iceberg didn't get any refining. It didn't get purified at all. It just basically took a deep breath while it sent the sliver off to get fixed. So then let's say this sliver comes back having been cleaned and purified, got a new lease on life, gets reattached to the mother iceberg. How long do you think it's going to be in that same water with the same conditions before that little sliver of the iceberg starts to decay again or get dirty again based on the cycles and the systems and the structures that have been established, communication patterns, emotional patterns, um, Triggers and stimulus and response patterns that have been established for for hundreds of years across this family, so that's typically what happens. Not that everything about that is bad, but what if we were to look at it differently? Not to mention the cost of the iceberg refining facility, um, but what if we were to look at the entire iceberg and have a real hard look and discussion about how can we refine this iceberg what's the low hanging fruit maybe Tommy doesn't want to go to treatment and maybe the parents don't think it's right to force him which can be very damaging most most people i met with i meet with who have sent especially a teenager to a forced program wilderness program or whatever it might be Almost always without fail, the parents regret it. They say, man, if I could go back, that's one thing I wouldn't have done. I would have done it differently. Now, there are times where we need to save someone's life and we need to protect people and property where it's just going to happen. But what if we were to look at the whole iceberg and say, how are, how are the elements? How are these communication patterns? How are these relationships? How are these systems and structures affecting this part of the iceberg what if there was a collaborated effort to move the iceberg into into cooler waters where there was less elements less decay what if they could reshape a couple parts of the iceberg to make it you know more attractive or more conducive with overall health and growth for everyone and what if it got to a point where these changes were satisfactory for the iceberg or the rest of the family to say you know they're going to take some time to figure these things out but but our iceberg overall this is this is good it's like a seed that was planted and things are moving in the right direction so in order to do that we have to break social norms we have to pretend as if something terrible just happened even though socially it's, it's normal for Billy Bob to fall asleep in his mashed potatoes because Thelma's son down the street used to do the same thing, and Uncle Bob's an alcoholic that wrecked his car two weeks ago. So we've accepted it, that it's socially, ignore, it's socially okay for certain things to happen. And we also have accepted that we don't share or talk about things that might be difficult, especially if others might find out. Because we posted a picture last week of our vacation, in Cabasan Laka, and we were beautiful. We're maybe we're business owners. Maybe we have nice vehicles, nice groomed yard. We're buttoned up tight on Sunday mornings when we go to church, and we have a beautiful family. And we wouldn't want others to know that it's got this bad. Pretending as if they don't already know, or pretending as if everything, at some point, is already going to come out and be made known to everyone. So we protect ourselves with these social norms where we tiptoe around this and we look for treatment options and we we, basically say, we're going to get them some help. And if we have time, if we have time uh, in between sporting events and recitals and work and meetings and all the other numb, numbing Actions that we've been taking for the last 30 years that are very insignificant in the grand scheme of things. If we have time and if we have something to propel us to break social norms and approach each other differently and talk in a different manner, then we'll do that. Then we'll do that. And yes, this person's sick and they're struggling and it really sucks and it's causing a huge rift rift within the family, but the problem is clearly them. It's clearly them. They're not living up to the standards within the family. I mean, at some point they were going to take over the family business and we've given them everything and maybe we've given them too much, but they are clearly the problem and we clearly need to focus on them and we need to make sure that all of our conversations are centered on them but not when they're there, at least not directly, because that would be awkward and they might respond or they might feel bad. So this creates a nice little convenient talking point for the family. It's also a very nice outlet for other challenges that individuals within the family are also going through that aren't getting the attention they need because, hey, at least it's not Tommy. So in order to break through from this, we have to shift it, right? We have to move from, I'm going to play a little sound effect here. We have to move from, there's nothing I can do until they hit rock bottom to, okay, wrong one, nope, Two. That's it. Let's try it again. We have to move, so we're going to do A and B, one or two, with this little swoosh in between. so we have to shift it from "There's nothing I can do until they hit raw bottom," to, Man, if they're still affecting me, I must be still affecting them." Or, "Man, our family is just so dysfunctional, too. We we actually have overcome a lot. And when we need to, we're pretty resourceful. Or don't say anything to them. We don't want them to know. To what if we just talk to them about it? What if we just asked them? The point here is that Families are struggling looking for something that they already have. Looking for something that they forgot they even possess. Waiting for a funeral or for some disaster to happen so that they can come together and mourn and comfort one another and pool resources to negate some of the effects of these challenges. But then as soon as the fire's put out, resort back into divide and conquer and just wait again in their own systems and structures until something happens where they'll come together again imagine what would happen if you got you two or three or four other family members i'm 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 doing this right now i do this all the time where there's chaos and there's despair and there's challenges and there's crisis all of a sudden as you give the family permission to begin communicating openly about some of these things together. There's this spirit. There's this spirit. I, In my personal beliefs, I call it the spirit of Elijah. Uh, there's a scripture that says that in the last days, the spirit of Elijah shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. But when a family gets together and they start addressing some of these things directly like they would in another scenario, but doing it with mutual respect and patience and understanding how people actually change. They don't change by lying to them, cornering them, and then demanding that one person changes. Families and systems and structures change together, and the good thing about that is anyone can change to begin that process. It doesn't have to be Billy Bob. It could be you. Anybody who says, I'm at my rock bottom, something has to give, can do something. So what are the things that stop people from doing it? It's what I talked about before. It's the status quo. It's the Believing that because your family has established a pattern of not getting together and addressing issues directly that you can't. Falling into this mindset that there's, that there's really nothing there and if there is, it's, it's too complicated. When it's not. It's not. I hear it all the time. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. They might, this might happen or that might happen. Or what if there's a huge fight? There isn't. Sometimes there's a little elephant that squeaks into the room and we have to talk about it. It's a little awkward. But generally, almost always, there's this power that enters these conversations. There's this light and this, this pooling effect of resources where all of a sudden, where one person may have been doing all this work, now there's like three people contributing well one person might have been carrying a lot of the weight of of the to-do list related to this crisis or this challenge now it's spread out where one person might have felt the weight of making all these decisions now there's more of a board of directors where we're debating and counseling together hey what should we do here and believe it or not billy bob that's been using almost always starts coming to the meetings Because he sees that we're respecting him. He sees that we're not just talking about him. We're emulating healthy communication patterns and change for the entire iceberg. And when he sits there and he hears a story about great-grandpa who went to war, came home with his leg damaged and was an alcoholic but, but died sober, it changes him, whether you believe it or not. So we need to get to a point where we have more courage and faith. And someone in your family needs to accept the fact that they're a peacekeeper, that they play a certain role, and they need to send out a text and cancel a couple ball games and say, damn it, what are we doing? Where are we going? How long are we going to watch this and pretend like it's fine or act like we're handcuffed when we're not? We're not handcuffed. And you know it, and the people in your family know it, but no one has had the courage to stand up and say, I'll go first. I think this is what we need to do. Do you know how much money is wasted on treatment from people that were forced and they didn't want to go? Do you know how many broken relationships start with something small and evolve over 100 years because it was never even talked about? Assumptions. Oh, if we have a meeting, they won't come. If we as a group talk to them respectfully about their using or their drinking, they're going to get pissed. They're going to leave. Assumptions, assumptions, assumptions. If you want help working through this process, working through these dynamics Helping your loved one, helping your family. Allow the timing to play out while your loved one learns to help themselves. Reaching out with resources, unifying, communicating, eliminating, or preventing some of the challenges with the grandkids and other children and younger siblings that haven't even surfaced yet. I can help you with that. I have a family strong group on Facebook. I have this podcast. I have personal coaching. I have a bunch of stuff that you can have access to. Email me together at familycouncilrecovery.com. Message me. My challenge to you before I end this podcast is that you will start to believe again. Everything of noteworthy status once started with one individual's belief. Belief that it was worth it. Belief that it was possible. Belief that they're going to give it a try, even if it falls on its face. Nothing amazing or no challenges have ever been overcome from a place of being reserved and doubtful and passive and shy. I'm telling you, I believe. I believe in you. I believe in your family. I believe in your loved one. If they are using right now, if they are struggling right now, here's what I see. I see an entrepreneur. I see some kid that never fit into the education system, told to sit in a chair and fit in. He didn't fit in or she didn't fit in. So maybe they were labeled, not smart, got held back, bad grades, whatever it is. Maybe he turned to medication. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. I don't know the whole story, but here's what I do know. That person that you love, that person that your family is talking about, everybody wants to help but they don't know how, that person in the future, when crap hits the fan, when you need something different, they're going to have something unique to offer your family. And anything you do for them now, I promise will come back to you tenfold. Because of the experiences they're having, you don't go through addiction without coming out with compassion, little grit. This is Randy Palmer, wrapping up episode one of the Family Strong podcast. Thank you for joining me. Look forward to seeing you next week. And yeah, we're out. Riverside.